Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we're discussing SNL's Season 46 premiere with host Chris Rock and musical guest Meg The Stallion. I'm Catherine Coleman, and I'm joined this week by Steve Finn and John Murray. If you'd like to connect with any of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. Enjoy this full-length, patron-only version of this week's discussion, and if you like what you see, you can get all of our unabridged, ad-free video coverage of Season 46 exclusively on patreon.com slash snlpodcast, as well as subscribestar.com slash snlpodcast. It's our supporters who make our show possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already come on board. All right, here we go. Woo! SNL's back, baby! Mm-hmm. With nasal swabs and a new title sequence and a whirlwind of crazy political topics, <laughs> we had quite some stuff to work with. Yeah, yeah, it uh, yeah. definitely was a um, a fraught show, a loaded show, a charged show. Um, I, I, I think I, I prophesied last week that it was basically going to be politics, COVID, politics, COVID, politics, COVID, politics, COVID. And I think that might be what we've got. So uh, I'm excited yeah, to break it all down. Right. Yeah. Well, before we get too far into it. Yep. yep. Don't let me get talk, ahead of you. Let's hit on some of these <laughs> news topics. Uh, we got some host announcements for the next two weeks on October 10th. We'll have Bill Burr and Morgan Wallen. And October 17th, we'll have Issa Rae and Justin Bieber. Steve, what do you think about our hosts coming up? Never would have guessed him. Not in a million years. Same. And, and I, it's not that I don't love me some, some Billy Burr and some Biebs, but, uh, yeah, I didn't know Issa Rae was coming up so, uh, so hot and fast. I've seen her in, uh, what was it called? The, uh, the Lovebirds. That was an okay movie. You know, it was kind of good background noise. Uh, but I'm glad to see her getting this kind of exposure. But I have to say, Bill Burr, I can definitely retroactively in my mind see how that's such a great fit, even though I never thought about it myself. But he'll be great. And my best guess is he's there to promote Mandalorian. Uh, I can't mm. think of any other project he's part of right now that would be worthy of SNL promotion. So that's maybe something we'll hear mentioned in the episode. We'll see. Yeah, I totally forgot that he's involved in The Mandalorian. He was yeah. in one episode in season one, but I think it may have been in one and done. I haven't heard much about his involvement in season two. I've um, been told. Well, not oh. told, but I've read that he okay. he's coming is back. in another episode in the second season. All yeah. right could be that um it could just be uh the whole stand-up comedians usually can hold their own and fill some time and uh he's proven now as an actor i mean he he was in breaking bad and you know knocked his little roll of cubby out of the park in that um so he's he's kind of legit right like I, I think they understand that he's not someone that is uh not gonna be able to bring anything to a, a performance in a sketch uh so yeah i i think that that's a fantastic pick um I don't know anything about uh, Issa Rae, though. That's that's I'm going to be coming in cold on that one. Uh, Justin Bieber. Don't need to see Justin Bieber. <laughs> I'm glad he's just the musical guest. Uh, I know that for some reason he's enjoyed around there by some of the folks. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. Canada's kind of over him. Uh, I'm speaking <laughs> for Canada at this point. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mixed well, bag for me. For house, the, John. The, the, that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, the, I don't, I don't have great insights on any of this. I like Bill Burr. That's, that's kind of the one name that stuck out in all of this for me. I am excited to see what they do with him next week. Yeah. I mean, we can now say that we were dead wrong last week when we said definitely no first time host. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shows, uh, we yeah, so our, sure our abilities of, of prediction are uh, very limited. <laughs> SNL, sometimes SNL, their bookings are, um, they're inscrutable, but they prove to be inspired. Like, the reason why they're booking agents do what they do, it's because they have their finger on the pulse and, and they can get a sense of things that are going to work on the show that maybe we can't. So that's, that's why that's always such a, a fruitless game <laughs> to try and figure out yeah. what the thinking is at the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I certainly hope that whatever it is that uh, these next two hosts are going to bring, I, uh, not to, not to give away my review. I, I hope that maybe it's a step up. I hope that this helps them to kind of get their sea legs and, and uh, tighten up this this new format and, uh, you know, all the new production niggles that the show has to work out. I, I hope that uh, these hosts can support them in that effort. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, our next piece of news is we found out just after recording this last week that they are releasing some tickets to the public. We knew that they were going to have an audience of some sort, mm -hmm. but now we know that there's actually an online registration that you can go through uh, for both the dress rehearsal and live show. Then there's a separate registration if you're a healthcare worker. Uh, so yeah, you can request tickets through there and it sounds like they have some sort of screening process where they pick people and then some people in there get put on a wait list and some people get tickets um, and everyone gets tested. So that's really cool. We're going to be keeping a pretty close eye on that in the next few weeks. I have some notifications set up. I'm definitely going to try to go to one or more so we can get some really sweet inside insight as to what this COVID production looks like. Yeah, I'd love for you to be able to report back and just kind of walk through the whole process from the time you get to the gift shop yeah. to like, what are the screening procedures? How packed is the audience? Like we got a few little shots in the mm -hmm. show to give you a sense of how packed it was, but just, yeah, just uh, to help people that want to try and do the show kind of know what they're in for and know, you know, what some of the the pitfalls might be. Uh, that would be, mm -hmm. I think, a great service. Um, might as well give a shout out to one of our rival podcasts, the standby line. Um, the girls over there, Jill and Amanda, they are standby line regulars and they get into pretty much every show. I was on Twitter last night and I saw that they were down at 30 rock. They tweeted from the gift shop. They were in some sort of line, uh, to get into the show. They said they'd been tested. I don't know if they got in, uh, how it all worked out for them, but, uh, if people want to know, uh, you know, get even more specifics just on the process of getting into the show and any insights that they may be able to offer. You should check out their podcast standby line. So, um, yeah, hopefully between your efforts and their efforts, we'll be able to get some concrete information out in the next week or so to anyone that wants to try it. Yeah. So you can, you can check them out now or knock on wood that next week I'll have all the information you need. And hopefully oh, and getting into Bill Burr, that'd be a good show. It'd be an interesting show. I was shocked to see him hosting, so I'm definitely oh, intrigued. Or is that a is that a very uh, politically correct way of saying you're not a fan of Bill Burr? Uh, I no, he's fine. Okay. Um, I'm not a huge fan. It's just uh, I was. He's not known for being particularly politically <laughs> correct, or sure. you know, mm -hmm. sort of on the liberal skew of things. So I was surprised to see that pre November third. Okay. You know, I thought if I, I know they want to try to diversify a little bit, but I thought they would maybe wait 
till post election. So I was well. They gotta they gotta throw yeah they gotta throw one wild card in the mix just so they don't look totally partisan. Uh, I'm sure he's promised to be on his best behavior. I mean, he's still not like crazy. It's not like having Donald Trump post, you know. Bill Burr doesn't have an axe to grind. He just kind of likes to call BS where he sees it. But I don't think he thinks of himself as you know some sort of hardcore conservative right winger type. Just he's not necessarily in lock with you know the the woke kind of bent right. of of modern social whatever um so yeah we'll see how that gels with the show uh yeah but hey i i'm i'm intrigued because i do like bill burr I, yes. think, I think that he's uh i think he's deceptively more talented than you'd maybe get from just seeing his stand-up that's that's what yeah, intrigues me about it yeah well we'll see but we have another week to find out so let's talk about this week's episode huh Very yeah good. let's not get, let's ahead, get ahead, of, ahead of ourselves <laughs> all right well, up first, even though it happened seemingly a hundred years ago, the cold open was all about the insanity of the first presidential debate with cameos from Alec Baldwin, Jim Carrey, and Maya Rudolph. Steve, how'd you feel about it? Yeah, uh, definitely had my curiosity satisfied. Like many of you, we were looking forward to seeing Jim Carrey do what he's been brought on to do. and. I had trouble visualizing what that looked like. And now that I've seen it, I think uh, it's a good fit. There are some times where that impression was just eerily similar to uh, his mannerisms, facial expressions, uh, cadence of the voice. It was all there in, in like an accuracy point of view, but it definitely was a good good way to prop up the whole jim carrey vibe of comedy and and what he does to get his laughs i think he's done something really good here that he can be jim carrey through a very uh very sellable biden disguise i think it works interesting (laughs) i kind of (laughs) i sort of i was confused going into it too and i I, I don't feel much more clarity now. Mm. Like he did a he did a good Biden. It was mm-hmm. a good impression. But there wasn't there wasn't anything that they specifically said that I felt like signaled to me, oh yes, this is why Jim Carrey had to do it. Uh I'm anticipating it's going to keep evolving and growing and we're gonna see that. And I certainly en- enjoyed the impression, but I still am not clear on why Jim Carrey. John, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, in some of that um, preseason media blitz that the show was doing, Colin Jost was out talking a little bit about uh, him trying to work with Carrie. He said that, you know, Carrie had a very clear idea of what he wanted and that, you know, they kind of powwowed it. So we know that they were batting around a, a, a vision of what they wanted it to be. I think maybe the problem with uh, Carrie's first run at Biden is. I don't think the show gave him a whole lot to really bite into. I I think maybe that uh, probably didn't help us get a first impression, you know, a really memorable first impression uh, out of this cold open. I think you're right, Steve, like Jim Carrey, he's, he's got an eye for picking up the, you know, the subtlety in a character, like impressions were his bread and butter when he was just kind of coming up as a stand up in Toronto. So like, like He's, um, you know, he knows how to do this and you can tell that he can do it well, uh, and just kind of fuse it with that 
patented Jim Carrey manic energy. So, um, there, there was something to enjoy there. I just, it, it just felt like everything that was coming out of his mouth was so lightweight. It was kind of hard to just see what is the show trying to say about Biden other than he's kind of like a doddering old fool. Um, but at the same time, uh, somehow he's, he's got mastery of time and space and can, you know, like you can get into this, this <laughs> surreal notion that he can just pause, uh, Trump at his whim. Like I'm, I'm just really struggling to figure out what, what are these cold opens going to look like? Are they, are they going to continue to kind of lean into that absurd stuff? Um, are they going to try and give him some teeth? You know, at one point he, he parrots a line that Biden actually said in the debates of, you know, like, would you just shut up kind of a thing? And, um, you know, the audience hooting hollers for that, like you can tell that people want to see at least the SNL audience, uh, wanted to see uh, sort of like this mythical version of Joe Biden that can like land serious blows on Trump. Like maybe there was something there, mm-hmm. but it seemed like all the little things that they tried were, were just kind of like quick in and out gags that, that didn't yeah. really say this is our take on Biden. And so that's what. Uh, I hope that they figure out over the next few episodes is, is really show us like, what is the comedic underpinning of your notion of Biden? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, like, like all the little things they did is really the perfect description. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was such a grab. A lot of mini sketches. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. The most inspired piece, as far as I'm concerned, was the framing of Kamala Harris as sort of like, you know, this no, no nonsense, like mom figure that just can grab them both by the ear and like, you know, drag them out of the mud when they're scuffling. Um, you know, there's something funny about her, like being the grown up in the room or just, you know, being the, the one that even like Joe Biden is kind of like, uh, uh, a little, you know, servile puppy mm-hmm. next to you. Like you could see him just kind of like fawning over her when she came out. So th- I can see them laying the groundwork of wanting to say something in that vein. Mm-hmm. But it was just, yeah, it was so scattered and muddy and bad camera cuts and all these like premier production jitters <laughs> that mm-hmm. was really kind of hampering my ability to dig this. Yeah, it was definitely easier to watch on the rewatch because they mm. spliced in the dress rehearsal. Yeah, footage. yeah, yeah <laughs> so they cleaned it up seriously. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The West but, Coast feed looked a lot better when mm-hmm. I did that rewatch. Yeah. But yeah, so overall, this this. I was excited going into it because the debate had been such a disaster, but I mean, (laughs) there's also the realization of the debate, such a disaster. What really can you even do with it? Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of what we saw happen here. I think that's pretty much got what we expected. Yeah. You know, the, the interrupting Trump, uh, cutting in all the time. That was pretty much the running theme of the whole thing. So yeah, things like that, you, you kind of know is going to be addressed and, and be part of the main narrative of it. But yeah, it was very much a lot of joke, move on joke without a whole lot of connect. Like you were saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty obvious stuff. They were mining and all of that telegraphing, like let's just say exactly what the funny thing is, you know, to underscore what really happened at the debates. Uh, This is all the kind of lightweight political fare that has not really been working for me over the past few seasons. And I, I think maybe Catherine, you were touching on the really the key problem with all of SNL's political stuff is politics isn't funny right now. Like th- those debates, like 
I watched it end to end because I thought, well, you know what? I better know, you know, what happened if I'm going to watch the SNL take on it in a few days. And, oh, it was, it was all I could do to not just shut it off because it, it, it was, it, it's, it was actually like anxiety inducing <laughs> to, to have hey, to endure that. Live here. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, they, they obviously have, uh, you know, a serious task to try and mine that mm-hmm. for comedy. And I, I think that's part of the problem, but also I, I think just, um, wrapping their heads around, let's find the the core of these characters and mm-hmm. use that as the starting point. You know, who cares what the reality of the debates was? We don't have to touch on every little, you know, offhand thing that happened right. during the debates. Let's figure out what's funny about these characters and let's, let's really start drilling into that, that. I think that's really the only thing that's going to save them if we've got four more of these before the election. Yeah. Well, hope, I hope <laughs> they keep evolving and we get some more, some good stuff coming in there. Absolutely. But for now, let's move on. For our monologue, Chris Rock discusses renegotiating how the U.S. government works. We sort of already hit on that, didn't we? Uh, mm-hmm. John, how do you, how'd you feel about the monologue? Oh, I like Chris Rock, but. I don't think this was his best material. I think it was very much of the time, you know, like what else has he got to talk about? But I didn't, I didn't need, uh, you know, revolution light from Chris rock for a monologue. Like, okay, great. You know, term limits. There's, there's an argument to be had there, but is that great stand up? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. So th- there was a few fun moments like the, the Idris Elba joke that got me. You know, I thought that's, that's <laughs> that a great, good. that is, that is Chris rock doing what he does, like his, his take on the world. Um, so it, it had moments, but overall just a whole lot of heavy handed partisan stuff that I just, I, I don't think it made for the greatest stand up personally. I think that there's some, some good stuff that some good jokes that can be made of that stuff for sure. And I think sure. he was starting to get onto something, um, I'm kind of wondering if we're maybe seeing the result of not being able to test this material out That's, super well. Yeah. If uh, the comedy seller was open, maybe he would have been able to workshop this for a month and we'd have a much right. better set. But as it stands, it feels very much like, okay, 1 a.m. I'm going to go with my notes and I'm going to work through this. That's that's how a lot of it yeah. really felt. Yeah. It felt messy. Like it mm-hmm. didn't feel particularly well rehearsed. Yep. Um, Like I didn't think it was bad, but yeah, it just wasn't. It wasn't what I'm used to seeing in a stand-up monologue, and I'm, right. I I think that that probably has something to do with a uh, a lack of being able to test it out. I think that's right, Steve. What'd you think? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> uh, hope, hope we didn't steal all the the good talk. Steve, are you points. still there? <laughs> oh, you left some meat on the bone. No, good. I thought, yeah, it it might have been a little bit unpolished due to lack of rehearsal opportunities. That's definitely a, you know, a viable point there. Uh, Yeah. It it could also be a little bit unedited in that sense where maybe we could have scaled down the number of topics we tried to cover. I mean, sure. Rush in a joke about uh, Trump having uh, COVID and, and whatnot, you know, that's to be expected. But yeah, we we went from that to like voter suppression. Uh, we did cover a lot of ground, and and a lot of it was very much, you know, uh, it did sound a little preachy at times. And yeah, this kind of like it it did sound like Chris Rock material, but it definitely sounded like 
he was asked to tackle certain topics that maybe you wouldn't normally hear Chris Rock do, even, you know, with this kind of, uh, stuff going in the world to, to, uh, to inspire that. Sure. But that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. He very well may have been crafting this material because it's something that he wanted to say. I think maybe the problem was he had a whole bunch of things he wanted to say and he tried to find some jokes to figure out how to say them. And that's not the best way to craft a joke. You know, like it, I've said it before, like with weekend update and, you know, other times where the show has been really heavy handed. If it's social commentary, first joke, second, then it, it feels preachy. It feels heavy. It feels uh, partisan. It doesn't feel like you're just observing truth and laying it bare for us to find the funny in. Uh, so yeah, when, when the comedy kind of takes a backseat to you wanting to say something, it, it tends to be very hard to walk that line. And I, I don't think he quite had it nailed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So let's move on into our first sketch mm-hmm. where action nine news tries to contact trace people from the super spreader event at the name change <laughs> office. Steve, since we tried to butt you out of the monologue, you can go first on this one. (laughs) Well, it's the kind of sketch that makes you want to say, oh, come on. (laughs) You know, funny names, punny, hilarious sounding, uh, you know, names that you wouldn't want anyone to have. It's it sounds like something you'd say was a cheap shot or, you know, not totally inspired. These guys are just so good at coming up with these <laughs> silly names. Like if it wasn't as clever and as well done as this, we'd just be talking about how, you know, just how juvenile it is and mm-hmm. how we want something a little bit higher brow. But I mean, some of these names that I don't even feel comfortable repeating without the, <laughs> the, the words in front of me on, on the screen. Right. But yeah, this is, this is stuff I can't help laugh at no matter how, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how childish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it came on, I think I actually did say, Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mainly because it's uh, their first episode back and we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a little uh, annoyed in the moment when it first came on. I was like, I had four months off and we're coming back with a repeat. But then it was such a well done repeat that I was totally fine with it. You know, I think this is the best iteration of it, actually. So it totally won me over and I I became a fan of it. (laughs) I love how Pete Davidson's whole role in this is just to giggle at names. Like he doesn't even have a line, I don't think. He's just there to stand there. Perfect role for Pete. (laughs) Yeah, he's the one person that isn't oblivious, and he's also like just kind of crude enough to want to play with it in this very (laughs) serious, dire circumstance. Uh, Yeah, that is that is the fun thing uh, that he's able to kind of create that contrast there. Um, I agree with you guys. This is just glorious juvenile stupidity. But at this point in the show, I was ready to laugh, and I think that's probably why this made it up to the top of the rundown. Is we had our traditional political debate cold open that had to happen because they've been promoting it for weeks. Uh, Then we had a politically charged monologue that touches on all the things that people are probably sick of hearing about. Can we just get to some goofy, charming potty humor? And yes, please. Absolutely. Um, My wife and I, we stayed up 
for the premiere, of course, we got to, you know, we wanted to see it live. So, uh, this was the first time since the Idris Elba joke in the monologue that both her and I were like genuinely like rapid fire laughing, like everything was working mm-hmm. for this. Um, yeah. And, and the, the banter back and forth between, uh, Heidi at the desk and the man in the field that was very well crafted, you know, yes. uh, it's, it's hard to make those, um, puns and entendres kind of make sense <laughs> when you take them yeah. in a different context, but the dialogue was, yeah, they, they had it sorted out. Yeah. It, it, it all, it all worked. Uh, so yes, I liked everything about this sketch. It's nothing we haven't seen before, but darn it all. If it isn't just goofy fun. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's keep it going. Up next, Chris, Keenan, Pete, and Ego featuring Meg D. Stallion. Just want to know what you got going on under that mask, girl. John, how'd you feel about our musical event of the night? This was fun. This was fun. Uh, probably Chris Red and Pete doing their thing. Uh, this is kind of their staple right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked it. It is a fun, timely observation. And they had a, a song that was just kind of catchy enough and at the right pace, like the right tempo for you to be able to keep up with all the little gags that mm-hmm. they were working into the lyrics. So this was working again. I'm, I'm going back to the initial watch last night with my wife. We were both having fun with this. So, Hey, I got to call it a win. Yeah, I agree. I, I loved this pretty much top to bottom. It was a really funny concept. It was well produced like these always are. And I like that they had that chance where the girls got to kind of turn it back around on the guys. Yes, so that, yeah. Cause it was starting to feel a little questionable. And then like they got to be like, give it right back to them. And then it re won me over and just a really fun song. And I've listened to it like two or three times. today, <laughs> So it's got that going for it. Steve, how'd you feel? Felt great. I mean, they were touching on the exact reason why I just love the whole mask wearing thing. Cause you know, <laughs> I don't have the, I don't have the strongest jawline. So if I can put a mask on (laughs) and here's the thing, when you're wearing a mask, nobody knows whether or not you have your mouth wide open. So I can just walk around like this and it looks like I have like a a proper chin and and like a full (laughs) jawline. And yeah, I look like an idiot underneath with my mouth wide open, but nobody knows. (laughs) So they're like, who's that, you know, strong chinned, handsome fellow over there. and yeah, everybody, everybody wins. But uh, except yeah. for whoever's with you when you take it off. Exactly. This is why you got a month and a half in. You gotta, you gotta see what's under the mask. <laughs> I just never get there, you know. Yeah. Uh, but all that stuff is just great commentary. Uh, this is just the new look for everyone. Just no face, just eyes, and uh, yeah, it was a great. Great music video. I have to say, Ego just needs to put out an album because <laughs> she's just legit. She uh, mm-hmm. she can lay down the flow. Uh, I mean, she's right there next next to Mega the Stallion, and she's yeah. holding her own. So mm-hmm. let's let's drop that album soon, Ego. I'm sure you're working on it. You you got the chops, and you know let's let's drop the laughs and, and let's just get a proper art. Uh, R&B album going. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why this was so much fun. Cause it is kind of just one joke that they play out for mm-hmm. two and a half minutes, but uh, everyone was just 
delivering something a, a little bit better on this one. So yeah, this was definitely a thumbs up for me. Yeah. I think all of these uh, music videos in this area are, they're, they typically always have Chris Keenan and Ego, and I know mm-hmm. Will Steven helps write them, and they're mm-hmm. pretty much all directed by Paul Pagranti. So shout yep. out to those guys because they're nailing it too. Yeah, they they have their little their little cadre. They've they've got a a good thing going with that group, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot more throughout the season. Would have been nice to get a little bit of more uh, Chris Rock into it. Mm-hmm. He definitely seemed stitched in uh, towards the end. They didn't they kind of. Eh, oh, I, no? I was just going to say if you notice if you watch the live broadcast. They were still working on Chris Rock's part. He had a bunch of green screen shots that were still in it with the tracking markers behind him. And then if you watch the West Coast feed, he's he's composited and they've got like, you know, a, a real like hip hop background behind him. Oh, and uh, okay. they tighten that up like they tightened up his shots and added overlays and effects and stuff. So like, I think maybe what happened is they just had to compress it and get it down to the studio kind of a thing. Like, uh, I think maybe maybe there would have been more room if they'd had more time to play with that section of it. Okay, that's probably why I had a different feeling from it the second time I watched it because <laughs> it was I watched the up. West Coast feed and it was yeah it was definitely, uh, definitely uh, clean more cleaned up. All right, well let's keep going. After that, we have a boy visited by a future ghost that shows him all of the horrors of 2020, but also the great graphics of the remastered Tony Hawk Pro Skater games. <laughs> So, Steve, how'd you feel about this Beck and Kyle sketch? Uh, this was just a great failure all around. <laughs> and <laughs> it was fun to watch, you know. Of course, you, if you take a kid and you take him into the future and you skip the whole part where you grow up and learn to care about things outside of your little uh, Tony Hawk bubble, you know, it's not going to make the impression you think it will. Uh yeah, of course that kid's going to be more focused on the on the graphics of the game. Like, I would be. That's for sure. And I just have some uh, a sense of envy for Kyle's character because I think we all wish we could pay a little bit less attention or, or be a little bit more ignorant about what's going on because there was a time where not knowing as much was probably a little bit better for our stress levels. <laughs> yeah. <Fair enough>. So <laughs> I think Kyle is, uh, is blissful, a blissfully ignorant character in this. And, but yeah, enough of that because this, <laughs> this sketch takes a very odd turn and it seems like they just needed an ending. Mm-hmm. And, uh, As we they tend with, to do. we went with the marrying Keenan, uh, twist ending, which was, <laughs> Very interesting, uh, out of left field way to take the sketch, but it made it memorable, I must say. And you could yeah. say that was contrived or unearned or whatever. You wouldn't be wrong, but I think the the blatancy of of all that is is what is the joke here. Yeah, like the ending is not a particularly obvious heightening moment, sure. but it's certainly. Uh, joyful and you know a fun little thing especially considering Kyle's supposed to be like this 90s kid who would know Keenan from Nickelodeon <laughs> right exactly he's been so around it was, so it long was like that, a very that totally tracks ending. yeah right <laughs> yeah so it was a fun ending you know for me who would have been about the same age as Kyle you know was in this sketch uh that was a fun twist and I really liked it even though it didn't really follow a natural progression mm-hmm. um 
It made a little bit more sense than breaking into West Side Story, but only a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Only marginally. Yeah, there was a lot going on in this sketch that <laughs> you wouldn't have actually. seen coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of, you know, him being into the graphics because just being not living the show of 2020, it would be an interesting thing to explain to someone. And I wish that they could have hammered that home a little more. So like have mm-hmm. Kyle react to the graphics and then Chris Rock, like throw like another fact, like also your whole neighborhood burned down um, sure. like in a forest fire, just like really like nail those details home and let him keep focusing on like the mm-hmm. graphics, you know? Right. I thought that could have made it a little bit more fun, but John, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's not a bad point that uh, there wasn't like, aside from him getting really giddy, uh, initially, and then they take you know the weird turn with it. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of additional beats to drive that point mm-hmm. home. So um, yeah, maybe there there was something there. I I get the feeling that they probably did a first draft of this, realized that it was kind of such a a thin thing to hang a meaty sketch on that maybe in rewrites they just thought like what else can we just goofy stuff and this this isn't going to be uh a master class in you know sketch craft it's just going to be what can we throw at it to just kind of pad it out and get a few cheap laughs i think that mm-hmm. might be what was going on and why we had you know some west side story in there and why we had the you know the abrupt uh uh keenan sitcom commercial there at the end that's you know that's my working theory on it i don't know it was amusing i did like the idea of the kid being enamored with the graphics because video game graphics have gotten pretty amazingly <laughs> realistic yeah. and I've been out of the, the game thing for long enough that I'm impressed. Like when I go over to someone's house and they have the latest console or whatever, and I'm like, damn, and it's all in HD <laughs> now. So uh, I, I like the joke, but yeah, that's, it's, it's like a 32nd amount of material that they just had to, you know, keep stretching. Right. Um, so yeah, my, I, I think my hot take is fun, but definitely kind of, you know, throw away. I don't think I'd ever be going back to find the sketch again. Yeah, that's fair. Well, let's talk about our next one. Then we have Chloe getting to show off impressions of Drew Barrymore, Reese Witherspoon, and Nicole Kidman in this parody of the Drew Barrymore show. Now, John, you didn't realize it was real the first time you watched it. No. So what did you think of the sketch? I love how blissfully ignorant I am of whatever is happening on a network or basic cable or wherever the Drew Barrymore show exists. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I watched this the first time, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's hilarious that if Ellen's getting all this heat for being a ball buster, that they would get this, you know, space cadet, hippie flower child, Drew Barrymore type uh, to run a, a talk show. Great. You know, that's fantastic premise. But some executive actually was sitting around somewhere and and actually did that. You know, like it's not a joke. Yep. That actually happened. Um, and apparently most of the stuff they lampooned in this was all real too. I did I have obviously not seen any of the real clips to compare them, but yeah, apparently this isn't as far fetched as I thought it was, which to me was hilarious. It was I thought this was a great sketch to begin with, but all the more so to know that, yeah, no, this this is not uh this is not a joke. This this is this is the world we live in now. Um, so I liked it on many levels. Um, but my, my hot take on this is Chloe Feynman. She's, uh, she's doing SNL, you know, like, yeah, she's really, really doing SNL. Um, her Drew Barrymore, everyone does a Drew Barrymore cause she has a very distinct cadence to her voice and vocal quality. Mm-hmm. But 
Chloe found something that I don't think I've ever heard anyone else quite master the way that she mastered in one of the very first uh, shots of her as Drew. She cocks her head up in a very juvenile way and her voice goes up while she lisps something in, in her Drew mm-hmm. Barrymore voice. And good Lord, if that didn't channel like E.T. era Drew Barrymore. Uh, and I thought, wow. Wow, what a a funny little thing to pick up on. Like because she's not just doing Drew Barrymore in that moment, the dialogue that she was saying was referencing something about, you know, her younger self or whatever, and she found it and she like drew it out mm-hmm. and uh I just went, "Wow. <laughs> Good for Chloe." Yep. Uh so that's the one thing that I really wanted to make sure that we highlighted that there was just a fantastic little it, like she's an impressionist impressionist. She she knows how to find the the vocal quality and she knows how to make it funny and uh good for chloe Mm -hmm. yeah chloe uh blew me away here um she's been blowing me away from you know all the way back to our master class sketches at home and then some stuff she's put out on instagram over the summer i mean this girl can do impressions and can find the funny thing in the impression Mm -hmm. and this was just a perfect example of that um she nailed every one of them to the point that they could have easily had someone else do Reese Witherspoon or mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman, but Chloe probably does it the best. Um, so it was just really good and really inspired. And I think her, her Nicole Kidman impression in particular, I just adore. She did um, <laughs> a thing on Instagram that was a FaceTime with Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban that I've watched <laughs> several times and just like cry laughed every single time. I mean, it is an amazing impression and I'm so glad I got to see it on the show. I'll have to watch what that sketch because yeah, the you, Nicole, you yeah, the Nicole Kinman bit was so short. Mm-hmm. It was, it was basically a single line. I was like, still, I could tell that was a very good mm-hmm. impression. So I want, yeah, she's to very more. comfortable in it. Yeah. I'm going to seek yeah. after that for sure. Yeah. I'm hoping we get to see some more of these uh, sketches where they let Chloe just really go crazy and do her thing. So Steve, what did you think? Well, I don't know why John is so surprised that this is, an actual show. I mean, if you do the math and all you think of all the teenagers that grew up watching Drew Barrymore pictures, that's true. That's they true. are, they are now up with children. They're at home. They are the, de- <laughs> they have become the demographic for daytime television. So they're in bed ri- anyways. Yeah. Riding in cars with boys is now evolved into a uh, Drew Barrymore show. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I forgot it's, about that movie. <laughs> it makes sense, you know, uh, just like Whoopi before her. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, Chloe Feynman is clearly hanging on to. Bye. See you later. Uh, <laughs> he had to go. Yeah. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was definitely a, a page from the at SNL at home where Chloe was doing a lot of sketches where she was jumping all over the place and filling out basically all of the roles herself. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems like people on the show really liked what Chloe could do when she filled up all of the space herself and didn't kind of rely on more collaborative stuff. So it's nice to see them hold on to a few relics that worked from that era. And it's great to see Chloe just be given that little extra screen time where maybe they might throw Melissa in there to do something. Yeah. Sounds like an unqualified win on this one. All right. Well, 
Up next, we have our musical performances. Megan the Stallion performs Savage and Don't Stop featuring Young Thug. Steve, what'd you think of Megan the Stallion? Well, as a man with mild epilepsy, I am <laughs> a little bit uh, annoyed that there was no warning for this. I mean, there was a lot of <laughs> spirals. There was a lot of... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of strobes and and just a lot going on. Just a lot of high contrast black and white that was a little bit a uh, little bit tough to look at. But aside from that, I guess it was it was music. <laughs> it had Hot a beat. Takes. I could I could beat I could bob my head to it, but uh, not really my my cup of tea. Um, that's fair. I, I have not rushed out to put these songs on my playlist, but hey, it wasn't offensive to my ears. So happy to happy to go along with the message that she was putting out there with that first song. Uh, obviously, we should be protecting the, the black women. So don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm dissing the message that she wants to put out there. Clearly, yeah. we can all all support that idea. Yeah, I think Just anyone be- that's listened to the show knows that this isn't necessarily your favorite genre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I'm a human being yeah. who doesn't love all genres equally, just like anyone yeah. else. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, this, um, I enjoyed these songs well enough. Again, it's not, none of them are my favorite. I'm actually, I'm more familiar with Savage as the TikTok song, uh, the Carol Baskin TikTok song. <laughs> so I have, I, okay. that made me feel a little old. Um, but, uh, you know, there were fun performances like Steve. Uh, you know, I thought she, she had a nice little political message in there that was to the point, you know, it wasn't, didn't take up the whole thing. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, especially with what she's been in the news for. Um, but yeah, I they were fun to watch. I enjoyed looking at it for sure. Uh and the music, it was fine for me. John, what did you think? Pass. <laughs> no. Come on. Oh is your is your wife watching? What's the problem? No, no, no. It, it's not I I did watch it with my wife and and <laughs> not even slightly awkward in, in that respect, as some past performances have been. Um it's <sighs> I get it. I'm becoming an old fart. I had, I, <laughs> I acknowledge this and I accept it. Call me old fashioned, but I really, really struggle with artists that are held up as empowering to women and their music is important for the cause. While at the same time, they're on a stage twerking and, and shaking their ass and you know just well, there's no shame in female sexuality i'm not saying that there's any shame in it but again call me old-fashioned i'm from an era where you didn't immediately assume that that was empowering so much as exploitative and mm-hmm. more power to her because she's making pretty good bank on you know <laughs> what what she's doing i'm not you know it's definitely empowering for her but as a, a father of two little girls, um, there's a little part of me that always says, huh, is this an empowering message that I would, you know, wholeheartedly embrace my kids listening to? And um, I don't know if I'm quite, quite there with it. So 
I say pass purely because it's impossible for me to divorce myself from what I see the implications of that being. And, uh, I, mm-hmm. I gotta have a dad perspective on it. And, uh, I wish I could be hip and with it and, uh, you know, just take it for the sex positive anthems that they were meant to be. Um, but that's not where I'm at in life. So pass. I think it's because you're old fashioned. I am. I'm old fashioned. I'm an old fogey. <laughs> I got yeah, John I, Murray. I am, I am very, <laughs> I am the, the very tail end of Gen X. So, you know, there's, there's just, just not a whole over a lot of overlap with where our culture's at right now. And I'll be the first to admit it. And that's why, you know, I'm happy to just keep these views to myself. Cause I know I'm not in step with <laughs> SNL's audience right now on these kind of things. And I'm okay with that. All right. Well, that's enough on Megan. Let's mm-hmm. get into weekend update. For their lead-in, Jost and Shea discussed the still-breaking news story of Trump testing positive for coronavirus. So, Steve, how'd you feel about Weekend Update this week? It was acceptable. When you are given some information so close to airtime, and you know that people will be expecting it, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, awkward position to be in. They take that risk every time uh, they start up a new show. So having this material on Trump with COVID, it kind of felt like a Stephen King novel. Like you can tell it's a first draft and maybe it could be a little less wordy and edited, but Hey, there there's good writing talents involved. So it ends up working. So we pretty much, yeah, we pretty much got a a Stephen King novel of a opening salvo in terms of quality. What an interesting take on it. That's an apt analogy that actually, (laughs) it kind of makes sense in a weird way. Yeah. I definitely don't envy the weekend update writers of, of today's news cycles. You know, there was a, (laughs) there was a time where we could have a debate on Tuesday and that would still be what we were talking about on Saturday. Uh, and those times do not exist anymore it's it's a curveball every thursday night every friday morning and every saturday afternoon um so they definitely have their work cut out for them in that sense absolutely um and i think that they did all right with it you know it it wasn't a bad weekend update but it wasn't a great weekend update um but i'm willing to grade it on a curve of we had this crazy news drop um but really the thing that was the most interesting to me was uh, Shay just seemed a little off. Like I know that part of the bit was that he wasn't finishing the jokes cause it just felt weird, mm-hmm. but I don't know. He wasn't, it wasn't being sold in a way that that, f- that felt right. It just, it was coming off to me in a way of like, he didn't believe in the jokes. Um, and so I, I liked what they were going for, but they didn't really, in my opinion, nail that part. And like, like I said, I'm willing to give it a curve, you know, but yeah, I thought, I thought that they had something really good going in there and some actually good jokes that he sort of let fade off. And so I thought that was an interesting take when they had good material to go at it with that angle. Mm -hmm. John, what'd you think? Uh, I'm going to grade it on a curve too. This whole episode feels very much like, Oh, first week of school, you know, we're still <laughs> getting our sea legs. We're still, you know, getting ramping up, 
finding our groove. A lot of weird camera work tonight uh, and a lot of highs and lows. You know, it, it wasn't the most even show. Um, and weekend update, Jost and Chase seemed similar. It seemed like they're going to need a week or two to really get their rhythm and their back and forth and just, you know, just start to tighten things up and, and start to feel like they're, they're really on top of their game. It is interesting that with so many things happening in the news that it felt like a lot of this was not very memorable. Like I would have thought maybe Che would have had one of his really stunning uh, multi-part jokes where he calls them back and yeah. he he builds on it and he he, he kind of takes you on a little journey um yeah and he and he plays like his scumbag role in it like they yeah. they have a few bits that they'd establish and i would have hoped to see a little bit more of some of what we've come to love about the jost and che weekend update and i felt like this just um maybe it's just because they were trying to hit all the key topics that they didn't dig deep enough on any of them and it could just be we haven't had to sit down and really cram and churn out a weekend update in a while and it just doesn't flow as fast and furious as it does once you're mid-season so um mm-hmm. it was acceptable there were moments but yeah this it's, obviously it's not going to be a a high watermark for weekend update for the season it wasn't too yeah. fast or too furious <laughs> no it felt like that's what they were going for with the che bit uh, mm-hmm. but they just didn't hit it like they have in the past yeah, just and i really a little more lightweight in the past yeah it's yeah. just everything was a little more lightweight for some reason and it just you know, I'm I'm ready for some something a little meatier, and I hope that it, over the next few weeks you see that, uh, even if it's just a slow incline of them just getting back up to speed to where they were um, last season. I'd, that's all I'm hoping for, just a little bit better week over week. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll get there. Mm-hmm. But yep. for now, let's discuss our first feature, which is Chinese trade daddy Chen Biao discussing TikTok's U.S. buyout. John, what'd you think of this Chen Biao appearance? Uh. It's a, it was a breakout character for Bowen. It's still got heat. Uh, this was a great topic, obviously, you know, why wouldn't we want to touch on TikTok? I'm sure that as soon as that dropped, the gear started churning, the gear started turning. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, Bowen's been tinkering with this or, you know, whoever he collaborates with on him, they, they probably realize, yeah, this is something we're going to work into the show. Uh, I was glad to see him back anytime there's something fitting and it's organic and it makes sense to bring back a character like this. Of course. So obvious win, easy win, easy win. Yeah. I think it's, um, Sudi green and Jasmine Pierce that work on this with him. Yep. That sounds good. And, and this was a knock out of the park for me. Home run, I believe is the sports ball term for that. Um, (laughs) and I thought this was actually probably my favorite Jin Biao so far. Um, he just really, he came in hot. He had some things to say. They had that nice TikTok thing at the end. I thought that they were just really hitting joke after joke and it, every one of them worked for me. So it was a definite win for sure. Steve, what'd you think? Just great to see Chen Biao again. I'm so glad they have Chen Biao in their pocket. Uh, there's always going to be some China related news, whether it's TikTok or Huawei or the protests. Uh, it, there's always going to be, a need for some kind of link with, uh, with Chinese relations. And Chen Biao is perfect to have for that because he's just so high energy and confident and willing to go anywhere that he can always have a really great entertaining perspective on whatever 
the uh, China relation uh, topic would be. And TikTok was a huge one. Like Catherine was saying, it was kind of, uh, kind of too big to ignore. And yeah. it's great to see Chen Biao back with the first episode of the season because he's just such a fan favorite. And we're all so yeah. happy to be back in the studio having a proper looking weekend update that, yeah, we probably want to see some familiar faces starting off. Probably the best way to go. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a, a wise choice to to put him in here on the premiere. They chose uh, wisely. <laughs> and let's talk about our second feature, which is Carrie Crumb recounts the event of her latest vacation, Home for the Pandemic. John, how'd you feel about Carrie Crumb? Uh, this is one of my favorite things that AD does on the show right now. Mm-hmm. Um, AD's done a lot of great things over the years, but when she's the the innocent child, you know, like the the kid in the the porn movies that is totally mm-hmm. oblivious, that thing that AD does is really strong. So for them to be able to spin it up into this, uh, I think that I think this is probably our third time with this character, and I think everyone mm-hmm. has been a hit. Uh, I really like him. I I don't. I'm not going to say anything that I haven't already said before, but it's just a charming character, and honestly, like in a show that's as um, like politically heavy and as like socially aware as this episode has been so far, this just kind of feels like a breath of fresh air in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just something that you can just really take on uh, innocent, obvious, simple terms. And uh, there's, there's nothing else in it other than just the, the, the wide eyed wonder of a, a child. And I don't know. It, it, it charms me every time. So high marks for 80 on this one. Yeah, I think this is a great character. I'm really, I've enjoyed it every time. And what really sells it for me are all of those ultra specific details they managed to put in mm-hmm. here. Like, uh, when she was talking about the hose in the driveway and she said that the, the water <laughs> tasted like dirt and metal, I could immediately, like, I was like, Oh yeah, hose water did taste like that. <laughs> um, just, a plus specificity on the Carrie Crumb bits. And that's what really sells them. In addition to, I mean, 80 plays that character perfectly, yeah. but the writing is, is really sharp. So mm-hmm. this was a win for me. Do we know, is Anna Dresden in the mix on this? Cause this, this feels like it, it might have it does. her voice in it, um, but I, I don't know who works I don't on know. either. I don't know, okay. but it, I feel like you're right. It definitely has a Dresden esque feel to it. Yeah. We should look that up. We'll have to look into it. Yeah, it, it definitely it de- it definitely has that that specificity that we've come to mm-hmm. know from that uh, that group of ladies. Steve, what'd you think? Carrie Crumb, oh, what an adorable little girl she is, and she's actually perfect to talk about, uh, you know, her summer in quarantine because she is already from such a small world. This is where this character. Uh, gets the the quirks and and the and you know everything we love about her it's just how easily impressed she is by such benign things and she's really not asking for much in this world <laughs> and what you know i can't think of anybody who would have a better attitude than carrie crumb during a a lockdown because <laughs> she's happy mm-hmm. with you know her house with the the two bedrooms and the <laughs> and and the bathroom you know she She's just going to be happy with whatever she's given. And 
yeah, she's just so great uh, to to learn about what it's like to go back to school uh, through Zoom or WebEx or what have you. And it's it's so funny because I've I've thought similar things. You know, when you're on on all these video calls with people uh, who are working from home, and it's like, oh, I, I'm seeing something I shouldn't. Like that's their bed over there. <laughs> yeah. That's where they sleep. <laughs> like it, it is. Uh, you, you never think about it until like you're in that meeting and you're like, mm, this is strangely intimate. I know I'm not like yes. there, but I'm, I'm seeing things <laughs> that like I normally wouldn't see unless they invited me over to come look at their bedroom, which is right. You know, probably not where you're at with a business associate or classmate. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's those little things that, that, Oh, it just, it's, it just makes her such a real character that, that really leaps out of the screen and, Carrie Crumb is is someone worth exploring. So to have her back again over and over again is a good idea. I think I think she belongs as a recurring. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move in to the back part of the show. Calling all first wives, second wives, mistresses, and side pieces. It's time to be drafted into the NBA bubble with a cameo from Meg D. Stallion. John, how'd you feel about the NBA bubble? We also got cameos from all three of our featured players. Pretty much the only time oh, yeah. we were going to see most of them, except uh, Lauren. Lauren was in a, another sketch, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much all we saw of Andrew Desmukes and Punky. So uh, for that, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Interesting premise. Like I, I like the idea. I I think they shot a little too low on it. It's a fun idea. Who gets in the bubble? Who mm-hmm. doesn't? But I don't know why people weren't like jousting over it or something. Like I don't. I don't know why. Um, why there wasn't another gear for this and it just became a parade of idiots. Um, so yeah. for that, like I, I feel like that's a little too simplistic because I think it was a, a good idea that they were starting with, and I just would have liked to see it go somewhere a little zanier. Um, so that's my criticism. But happy to see the featured players. Yeah, and I'm gonna echo that same thing. Just, I feel like there was more to do with it that they didn't do. Um, the the real winning moment for me, um, you know, some of the characters w- were fun, but Alex Moffat's NBA commissioner <laughs> was just delightfully funny. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. When they so, start yeah. altering the ears, that's when it starts to get uh, <laughs> visually ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve, what'd you think of the sketch? I don't know. It was, I guess, funny enough, uh, obviously draft picks and pairing it up with uh, the whole bubble thing that they're, they're forced to do for, for sports was a fun way of tackling it. You know, you could really wheel in a lot of uh, different crazy characters, kind of like the bachelor sketches, for example, mm-hmm. this was more of a, uh, a bachelor sketch for the sports fans. You know, people who don't watch as much reality TV and watch more, uh, you know, basketball, baseball, hockey, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it's a way, it's a way that we can see how the same joke can be tailored differently to different demographics and maybe land, uh, with some other people. Hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't my favorite sketch of the night. That said though, all three featured players, uh, I thought owned it. Um, Lauren in particular just seemed like a natural. Yeah. Um, just blended right in. She was also in the um, the name change one. Right. And just felt like she had been there all along. So that was really cool. 
props to our featured players. Yeah, I wish I'd Woo-hoo. actually mentioned that during the um, yeah, yeah the, the name change. Uh, as the the wingman for Ego, she mm-hmm. delivered her line really competently, and she mm-hmm. wasn't drawing attention to herself. And like she just she she hit the line right for there to be a joke in it. And I did take notice of it and I forgot to mention that when we were chatting about that yeah. one. So I, I, it's, it's always nice when they get like a layup, you know, yeah. <laughs> they, they got the ball for the first time and they do something with it. So yeah, a, a very small moment, but a competent moment and great. That's, that's what you want to see from your featured players. So yeah, yeah. And sure. way to bring it back around to the basketball sketch, John, there you go. <laughs> Analogies and what's nots. <laughs> Woo! All right. Well, on that note, let's talk about our last sketch of the night. A message from the Stunt Performers Association of America. John, what'd you think? Yeah. Uh, it was okay. It was okay. It was not great. It was okay. Um, this was a pre-tape. So I think maybe there was more that could have been done with it. Uh, I don't honestly know what it is, so I'm not going to be I'm not going to be too critical that way because I I don't know what it is that I felt was lacking. Uh, other than it, it just seemed like they were they were highlighting the silliness of the stunt work in kids movies and how you know how obviously pandering it is to a, a kid's sensibilities of you know get the crusty old dean um, like they, <laughs> there there was a joke there and and that was. Cool. I, I like the idea of stunt performers that that's their niche. That's, that's their bread and butter. Um, I just don't think they took it very far. Uh, at the end, they tried to kind of have this crescendo where, you know, the dog's attacking and the pants are splitting and the farts are flying. Uh, so they, they did try to do something with it, but I just, I felt like there was somewhere else for it to go. I don't know what it was, but it, it just left me feeling a little, little wanting. Yeah. Um, well, I actually really enjoyed this one. Good. I was having fun with it. Good. Uh, you know, I love a Kate and 80 duo. Um, those, those sketches will pretty much always win me over. Um, but I thought this one was really fun because I've seen a lot of those videos that they're sort of parodying. Um, and, you know, I just thought this was a really fun angle to take on it. And, you know, I thought they had some some good jokes in there like the the way they delivered and lingered on the farting joke was surprisingly <laughs> like good to me i was like nor- normally i'm not like real into fart jokes but that one that one really won me over so yeah i had a good time with this one it wasn't you know my favorite sketch of all time but I, it was actually probably one of my top two of the night so very yeah. good top I'm, two. I'm glad it connected with you because it, it, it wasn't bad and i i, I want to walk back what i said just a little bit like i didn't hate it <laughs> Like this was perfectly acceptable. Um, I think maybe what was going on was I'm checking the clock and I'm realizing, oh, I think this might be it for the mm-hmm. night. And mm. this wasn't necessarily how I wanted to go out on the show. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that I, I think that may have probably, you know, uh, tempered things a bit for me. But you're right. It wasn't there was nothing particularly wrong with it. I just I think I think I would have liked to see it. I don't know something about it. Just, I felt like they could have just punched up a bit more, but I mean, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Steve, or which side are you going to be on? I, I'm going to be on your side, Catherine, because I enjoyed yes. it as well. I thought it was a clever idea because as much as they want to portray it in a lot of the things you see in social media and on YouTube and stuff, uh, 
yeah, stunt work can be really badass and cool, but for every James Bond and Captain America, there's a Home Alone or a Weekend at Birdies <laughs> or something mm-hmm. where a stunt man is going to have to do things that are probably a little bit more humbling uh, <laughs> than than the karate and the and the parkour or what have you. So it was a, a funny idea to think, hey, w- that that might make a sketch. Now, if it it may not have reached heights beyond that initial idea, but it did have Kate and AD just turning on the funny. So mm-hmm. it is a great opportunity to see those two working together, which is always, you know, there's there's stuff between the lines with those two that's always really satisfying to watch. Cool. Well, that was it for our rundown. So let's get into our ratings. Okay. Let's go with Steve first. What was your moment of the night? Okay. Moment of the night. Uh, I think it has to go to Jim Carrey's lingering stare after he peps himself up to, to remain looking lucid. <laughs> that yep. was a, a great uh, moment. And for a second there, I, I kind of lost Jim Carrey and I could just see Jim Biden. That's Hmm. where he really held a face that was just like, holy crap. That is a, (laughs) that is a very Biden esque, uh, uh, facial expression. And after seeing so many inaccurate impressions on SNL to see someone that looks and sounds like Joe Biden a little bit, uh, it's kind of refreshing to see. So that was uh, a moment for me. Yeah, interestingly, I'm also going to go with a moment from the cold open, which we were not too hot on when we were discussing it, but it did have, as a whole, it was a little bit of a mess, but it did have those good moments. Uh, And mine is when he pauses Trump and he says, Just not to hear his voice for a single (laughs) second. (laughs) And I was like, yes, it is. (laughs) You know, we... uh, we get so much news just in that 24-hour cycle, so I thought that was a good joke and something that, you know, as John was talking about in that sketch, almost a thing we wish we could hear Joe Biden say. Uh, so I liked that version of him, and I thought that was just a really fun moment. So, John, what was your moment of the night? The Drew Barrymore sketch. There is a little moment right near the beginning of that sketch where she nails the the juvenile quality of Drew Barrymore's voice. I am just like you, a boho free spirit, mommy, mother, movie star, since I was six. It, it, it just really, really connected with me as something that felt very true to Drew Barrymore. And it was just a moment that impressed me. And it was a moment that said, oh, look they trust Chloe to lead a sketch and this is just, you know, her as a featured player, just this is her time on the show. And there's not a lot of featured players that are able to do that, that they just carve out their spot early on and they just plant their flag and they nail it every time. So, um, this little moment was just where I perked up and said, Oh yeah, she did so good with the at home episodes that she's, she's in it. She's in it and they trust her. And isn't that a great moment for Chloe Feynman? And it was a great moment for me. So that's my moment. Yeah, I think that's a great moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always good to see a featured player really step into their own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Nailed it. Well, up next, we have best sketch. Steve, you first. 
I think Drew Barrymore show was probably the most enjoyable piece. And yeah, I guess that's extra good praise for Chloe, where she basically was the sole talent aside from a couple of appearances from our new cast members and Alex as well. So yeah, a lot to love here. Clearly the impressions were amazing. Uh, Punky made a great uh, debut in this as did uh, Dismukes as the cameraman. And yeah, when you start quoting Freddie got fingered, you know, you're really going for the Emmy with this sketch. So (laughs) there's a, there's a, just so much to love about it. Yeah. And I'm going to agree with you. It was a, the highlight of the night. I think it's rewatchable many times over. Great impressions. Really enjoyed it. John, are you going to make it unanimous? I am. The reason being in our preseason cast, I said, I thoroughly expect the premiere to be heavily laced with COVID and politics. And I just know that that's not going to be what is going to connect with me. All I want is one sketch that sidesteps all that. And it's just lighthearted and goofy and charming and just fun. And it's just escapism from all of the other stuff that's going on in the world. And this was that for the night. Not only was it a great sketch for Chloe Feynman. So there's, there's all of the joy of watching a featured player come into their own. So it, it already wins uh, on those terms. But all the more so that it was just some of the the goofiest, funnest, most uh, uh, immediately enjoyable fare that doesn't challenge you <laughs> in any way. It just says, <laughs> no. "Here, come, come, have some some goofy fun with these silly impressions." Um, and it was bright, and it just warmed my heart. And I don't, I don't think there was anything else in this show that tickled me as much as this one did. Very good. Uh, well, on that note, I feel like I know what direction this next category might go. Mm-hmm. But Steve, who's your MVP? Yeah, MVP. I think I think uh, I think I'll take the bait there and and give it to <laughs> Chloe. Yeah, sure. She uh, definitely has shown that she wasn't just a convenience for them during uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. During the lockdown, you know, it was easy enough to say, okay, we're going to have to do some at home produced stuff. Uh, Chloe pretty much made a name for herself doing this. We can trust her with a little bit of that. But now we see that it's spilt over to studio uh, efforts and, and, you know, working on green screens with the whole, uh, with the whole crew behind it. it. It really bodes well for her career wise on the show that they're, continuing to give her these vehicles even though it's now no longer just the easy choice because they have the resources back and they're still doing it so it's it's great to see and i think this is the season where we see chloe uh do amazing things and becomes you know a a, a lockdown yeah i hate to use that word for for something else than what it's normally (laughs) used for it's a loaded term now a we lock understand. in. We'll say a lock in. Yeah. There we go. A shoe Yeah. 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 A shoe. <laughs> yeah. I'll give the MVP to Chloe as well. That sketch was incredible. And, you know, how rare is it to see someone get to do three impressions in one sketch? Uh, that's especially not in a, just a uh, 
impression wheel sketch. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, she owned it. It was incredible. Best sketch. It was her sketch. She gets the MVP. She do. John. Should I just no talk pressure. about Chloe Feynman for a couple more minutes? Uh, <laughs> yes. Why not? She's the MVP. She, she brought joy into our living rooms. Uh, she, like you guys said, she, she's showing that she's planting her flag and that the stuff that she was doing on the at home editions, uh, it, people took notice and it's obvious that there's trust there now. And, uh, yeah, she really brought that one home. What else is there to say that we haven't already said? This was a, a great showing for Chloe and, uh, just always so happy to see a featured player get a moment like that. So MVP for me. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's rate the whole show on a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode, Steve? I'm going to give it a decent. There's there's a lot of elements working against it that maybe didn't allow them to make the best show the very first time with all these new rules. Uh, definitely more rules than a game show. <laughs> uh, not to mention the presidency. So you can't really fault them, but I don't think I should pull punches and say, Oh, you know, uh, given the circumstances, I should give them a classic. Cause you know, no, we're not <laughs> going to get into that habit. Uh, it was, it needed some work. And I'm sure that we'll be giving better ratings somewhere down the season when they learn to thrive in this uh, new restricted environment. They just need to work at it a bit more. So still not a a, a train wreck or, or a poor episode by any means, but uh, it would be, I don't think it would be fair to give them anything more than middle of the road and keep it at decent. Yeah, I was sort of, my initial reaction was decent. And on on the rewatch and on the review, I was thinking maybe it could be great. You know, it had more going for it than I initially felt like it did. Um, but I'm going to stick with decent. Because, um, you know, it had some stuff working. It had some stuff not working. Just overall, very hit and miss for me. And there's definitely something to be said with my expectations for the show. I was really excited going into it you know we didn't really get a capper for last season i felt like we were gonna have a lot to say and a lot of stuff going in so i was feeling a little not let down but you know it didn't quite meet that expectation that i that i had so i think that's going into it to make me say decent uh john how are you gonna rate it um coming into it i was flirting with weak uh, I felt the cold open really needs some, you know, like some solid retooling to find its voice. Um, the monologue, I was expecting really great things from Chris rock. You know, he's solid stand up. He knows how to deliver. He knows how to work the stage. He, and he has 30 years worth of material to draw on. Um, so I was really surprised that it was as heavy handed as it was. And I, I didn't feel like that's the greatest way to kick off a season premiere in an era where, the best thing SNL could be is a pleasant distraction. So why does SNL feel that it needs to be one more voice in a cacophony of voices right now? Like 
I, I get it, you know, like have the debates and, you know, have weekend up like, like the, there's places to talk about you know, the social issues of the day, but why load up so much of the show with it? That was the, the biggest thing that continued to pull me back from really investing in the show. Um, so those were the things that I was struggling with. And unfortunately right up to weekend update, it was, it was pretty relentless in that way. Um, mm-hmm. with, uh, Chloe Feynman kind of being the, the, the bright spot. Um, so I really struggled with that. Now, Steve made a good point that, you know, they, this is their very first outing with a whole lot of cards stacked against them. Um, and so for that, again, you don't immediately be like, well, it's, it's a classic because this is something people will be talking about forever. Um, you know, their first episode back in the midst of COVID and like, th- there's a story there, but you still need to have a solid episode to be able to make that argument. I don't feel like we quite got there. Uh, so I'm really, really torn. Like how generous do you want to be? Because it is the premiere and they do need time to ramp up and premieres are always shaky, even under the best of circumstances. You can always tell that they're shaking off some cobwebs. So there's a whole lot feeding into this. And I got to say for all of it, I still fall back on the weak side of the line because I personally think it was a misstep for the show to feel like they need to do what everyone else is doing and be super duper heavy on saying, yes, here are all the issues that we as well are passionate about. And I don't think anyone was questioning whether they are. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I just really feel like a, a lighter touch could have helped this episode to soar a bit more. So I am airing on the side of weak. Final oh answer. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> it is what it is. Oh, one other thing. Sorry. Before we call it a night. One okay. thing I do want to applaud is that watching this episode, it felt like watching SNL. And there was a question mark about whether what ended up on the screen was going to look and feel and be true SNL, or was it going to feel like SNL light? Was it going to be so heavy on pre-tapes that you just kind of feel like is is this it, it it loses some of the the specialness of an snl production mm-hmm. i didn't get that it still felt like nope. snl so for that for them to be able to walk that line of being able to get an enough production talent and and resources in the space to be able to pull off the show i give them super duper high marks the show suffered in a few ways and i feel like they were things that could have been sidestepped but it wasn't that the show didn't look great and it wasn't that people weren't on their game aside from you know some some camera you know switches that could have been tightened up but for the most part it looked like really solid snl and i do want to let them know that i totally respect how tough that would have been to pull off this week and i just hope that as they go down the road and they they're able to get more comfortable in the space and doing what they're doing that hopefully you know the, the writing and the tone of the show catches up and they find a better balance on how to deliver what i hope is a more fun and lighthearted show down the road well here's hoping yeah Okay, I've said my piece. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thanks to Steve Finn and John Murray. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Neil Weinstein, Justin Gardner, Carissa Eubank, and Brian Clark. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week to cover SNL's next outing with host Bill Burr and musical guest Morgan Whalen. 
But until then, this has been episode number 116 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm Catherine Coleman. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>